Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqah Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhina istafa. Khususan ala sayyidir rusuli wa khatamil anbiya wa ala alihi al-askiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya amma ba'd. Suhaib bin Sinan al-Rumi radiyallahu ta'ala an. Al-Rumi is an attribution to being Roman. His story is interesting because his family actually originates from the Persian region. His father had a prestigious role in government and his city was attacked by the Roman soldiers. They wreaked havoc all throughout the city and they captured some prisoners and took them to the Byzantine Empire. He was one of the captured. Suhaib was away from his family from a young age and was traded into slavery. He ended up spending a good part of his life in the Roman region. Picked up a different language, learned another dialect, became very much accustomed to the life that the Romans lived. He saw the flaws, he saw the good. Some narrations tell us that while he was in Rome, he heard a kahin a fortune teller saying that the time of the final prophet had arrived. Even though this narration can't be found in most of the more common historical works, some scholars still have referenced it. Suhaib radiallahu an then made his, made his way from one hand to another and after going from one place to the second, to the third, to the fourth, finally finds himself in Mecca. How did he arrive in Mecca? Some scholars say that it was through the trade of slavery that he finally was sold in the markets of Arabia. While others, they say, he was waiting for an opportunity to slip away. And when he found the opportunity, he ran from the Roman lands and arrived in Mecca Mukarramah. Now those that say that he was sold into slavery into Mecca, this position is narrated by Ibn Abdul Bar, where he says 
فسبت صهيبا وهو غلام فنشأ بالروم ثم اشترته كلب وبايعوه بمكة لعبد الله بن جدعان that the one of the Arabian tribes purchased him and they brought him to Makkah Mukarramah and they sold him to a noble man by the name of Abdullah bin Jud'an. فَأَعْتَقَهُ And he set him free. So originally his lineage is Arab. His family served in the Persian lands and then he was captured and taken to the Roman lands and from there full circle back he arrives in Makkah Mukarramah. When he arrives in Mecca, like the others, it was the early days of Islam and there were these whispers of a prophet. Everyone was busy with life. Things continued on as normal, work, family. But on this corner right here, there's a da'wah of Rasulullah that is private. And Nabi is carefully and selectfully speaking to certain individuals about the deen. When Suhaib arrived in Mecca, he didn't have much wealth. So he buried himself into tijara and business and started building himself up. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him barakah and he was able to amass a decent amount of wealth. He was thirsty and hungry for hidayah like you'll see in intelligent people, they aren't easily sucked into propaganda. They can see falsehood for falsehood and they can see the truth for the truth. And what he saw in Makkah Mukarramah, the practice of worshipping idols, the tribalist society that he was a part of, he understood that this was not the intent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There was something else, there was something greater. So he waited until he heard of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There's this person that's calling people to Islam. So Hayb radiallahu an began to investigate how he can connect with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and learn more about this deen. Finally, he hears that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has a small gathering in Darul Arqam. So he makes his way to Darul Arqam. And when he arrives at the door of Darul Arqam, right when he's about to enter to meet Rasulullah he sees a familiar face that also seems to be searching for someone. He sees a face that he was very much familiar to himself, of being lost, being confused, a thirsty soul. And this person that he saw there was also a young man, an old friend of his, a man by the name of Ammar bin Yasir radiallahu anhu. He asked him, what are you doing here? So Ammar bin Yasir radiallahu an says to him that possibly the same reason why you're here. I heard that there is a person by the name of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam that is preaching this beautiful deen, al-Islam. I want to learn more about it. Suhaib al-Rumi says to his buddy, Ammar radiallahu an, how about both of us enter at the same time and speak to Rasulullah at once. So this powerhouse team, Suhaib bin Sinan al-Rumi and Ammar bin Yasir anhum, 
they enter and they listen to the beautiful message of Islam from Rasulullah The unadulterated, pure message of monotheism. You aren't held back by your tribe, your group. You are loyal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your connection is with Allah azawajal. The Prophet he very briefly in a few words gave them the da'wah to Islam and both of these young men at the same time stuck their hand out to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam to give their pledge for Islam. Imam Waqidi rahmatullahi alayhi while trying to put a timestamp on when Suhaib al-Rumi and Ammar bin Yasir radiyallahu anhuma became Muslim, he says, Aslama Suhaibun wa Ammarun fi yawmin wahidin that both of them became Muslim in one day. However, they most likely became Muslim after 30-odd companions. 30-odd people had become Muslim before them, and then they became Muslim. And they were from the group of people that were tried and tested for their deen. Mujahid, he says that awwalu man and he lists him there. That from the people to publicly claim their Islam, he became Islam in the early days, but everyone kept theirs private and secret. But from the few people that went out to the front lines, when the Quraysh began to search for Muslims, one of the few people to stand out and be bold and be confident about his faith and wasn't afraid of the outcome. Because speaking the truth comes at a cost. And when you know that your enemy is picking you out one at a time, if you speak the truth, their eyes are locked onto you and they will torture you, they will beat you, and they may even kill you. How relevant is the message to our time today? Earlier I saw a video of two young men in Gaza that were driving, and one of them pulled out a bottle of juice, and he gave a cup to his friend and took one cup himself. He poured a little for his friend and poured a little for his, himself and then he says that this may be our last drink in the dunya and they drink it. And then his buddy says to him, when is the next drink going to be? He said, possibly in Jannah. Because there is a cost to living for the truth. Many of us don't know what that is because we've never had to sacrifice for our beliefs, for our identity. The people who made the sacrifice have already come. They've already, they've already faced the challenges. Go to your parents, go to your grandparents and ask them, what did, what did it mean to be Muslim when you arrived in America? Were you bullied? Were you taunted? Did people belittle you? And they'll tell you that business was hard. It was a slow takeoff. People said all sorts of things. They did all sorts of things. There were all sorts of boycotts. There was name calling involved. And if you go even beyond that into our history, you'll find that there is a long list of millions of people who believed in Allah and His Rasul and they weren't afraid of saying it. And they understood that by saying La ilaha illallah, things would get difficult. The famous Iqbal, he said that every time, Muhammad Iqbal, he says, every time I say La ilaha illallah, I begin to tremble and shake. Every time I say La ilaha illallah, I begin to tremble and shake. 
Because I know very well of the difficulties that lie ahead in the path of La ilaha illallah. Once I say I believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the challenges are going to come. But a Muslim isn't afraid of that. Because a Muslim knows that these challenges are worth it not only for yourself, but for humanity. The world needs you. The world needs your confidence. The world needs you to be the lantern of hidayah. Your communities, your colleges, your universities, they need you there. You may feel like your voice is unheard, but never be fooled. Because as-sami' al-basir, the one who sees all and the one who hears all, sees it and he hears it. And it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's responsibility to reward the one who speaks with absolute sincerity, without any fear at all. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's responsibility to take that voice to the corners of the world where it needs to go. And out of all the different avenues of information in today's world, with all the um, silencing that's going on and all the washing of the news, whoever thought that the most pristine source and most unadulterated form of information in today's world would be TikTok? Whoever thought that? That TikTok is a place where you go because um, they refuse to silence the voices when it comes to the issue of Gaza. That let it come, let it flow. Whoever wants to post, you can come and post. It is in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hands to use whatever means he wills and whichever person he wills for the khidmah of the deen. In one hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَيُؤَيِّدُ هَذَا الدِّينَ بِالرَّجُلِ الْفَاجِرِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will at times support this deen even through a sinful individual. بِالرَّجُلِ الْفَاجِرِ Someone who transgresses the laws of Allah, Allah will use that person too. Everyone has a role and Allah uses from His creation for the khidmah of the deen, whoever He wills. And right here there is a little lesson on this hadith. That don't belittle your role in the, the grand scheme of humanity. Be sincere. Learn to find sincerity in your sajda. Deep dig into your iman. Go to the verses of the Qur'an where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us to not see the world purely through a material lens, but rather a means to our destination, the akhirah, Jannah. If you see this dunya, and if you see every day of your life in this world, as a means to Jannah, doing the right thing at work will come much easier. Being able to get out of your room and walk over to the masjid, to get in a car and go to the masjid will become much easier. But the problem is that we are blinded of our end destination. We've become so obsessed with where we are now that those actions that came naturally to people of Iman, the Sahaba, are now unbelievable that a person prays Isha Salah and on the way back he calls all of his family members to let them know about Abi Ishaqi Namaz Parakarara. Random conversations, they haven't called that person in 10 years. Hey, you're calling, what's happening? Oh, I'm just coming back from Isha, so how are things going? Just sliding it in, quick, humble brag. Because it's a big accomplishment for us. Our situation, in terms of our sacrifice for the deen, is at such an all-time low that a person prays one tahajjud salah and in the morning begins to look to the heavens that when is Jibreel coming with my ticket to Jannah? It's a laughable state. 
that we're in because the bar is very, very, very low. As for these companions of Rasulullah when they became Muslim, they understood that they were doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they built that perspective, that world view of the Akhirah. And that made it okay for them to drink a cup of juice with a smile on their face saying that the next cup will be in Jannah. That's what the Akhirah worldview does for you. And for the Sahaba, publicly announcing their Islam became easy. The challenges that followed meant nothing. It was a part of the package. Mujahid, he narrates, فَأَمَّا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ فَمَنَعَهُ عَمُّهُ When Islam became a public affair, Rasulullah was protected because his uncle was a leader of the people. وَأَبُوْ بَكْرٍ فَمَنَعَهُ قَوْمُهُ Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq was also protected from any public persecution because his tribe stood by his side. وَأُخِذَ الْآخَرُونَ فَسَمَّى مِنْهُمْ صُحَيْبًا And the other people who didn't have a tribe, they got caught in the crossfire. Who would they go to? Which nation will speak for them? Who will boycott for them? Who will sacrifice for them? So they got wrapped into it. فَأَلْبَسُوهُمْ أَدْرَاعَ الْحَدِيدِ وَصَهَرُوهُمْ فِي الشَّمْسِ حَتَّى بَلَغَ الْجُهُدُ مِنْهُمْ كُلَّ مَبْلَغٍ They made them wear armors made of metal and then had them lie in the scorching heat of Makkah. And they really pushed them to their limits. Most of the companions in this extreme, extreme state they were in, they ended up saying a word or two that would relieve them of that torture momentarily. They said a statement. A statement that didn't represent what they believed in. That they believed in Allah, but they knew that the kuffar would not stop until they disowned their faith. So many of the companions in that extreme pressure, they said statements to relieve them. And in, the, in, in one riwayah, the companions, they said those statements just to relieve themselves of that immediate punishment. And except for one Sahabi, there was one Sahabi, all the other companions, one by one, they said something to relieve themselves. There was one companion who refused. And he went all the way till the end. فَأَلْقَوْهُمْ فِيهَا إِلَّا بِلَالٍ That was Sayyidina Bilal He stood till the end. Everyone else one by one gave their peace and bowed out. Bilal went till the end. And everyone began to gather around to see what would happen. Who would win this? Would it be Umayyah or would it be Bilal and every time he continued hitting him, Umayyah would say to him, look at all your friends, they said their statements and were relieved. Let's end this public show. Why don't you give me a statement that you disbelieve or say one foul statement about the Prophet and I will release you. And Bilal's 
singular statement of Ahad and Ahad continues to echo right until today, 1400 years later. This is Iman. This is when you know that your faith is not passive. This is when you understand that your Iman that you believe in, the sajda that you do, the salah that you pray, isn't something that your mom and dad gave you from your birth. How you know that you believe in your Iman, how you know your Iman actually has value, is the day you sacrifice for your Iman. When you're walking around in the airport and you know it's salah time, and if you get on that plane, you're gonna miss your salah. What do you do? Everyone's looking at you. Everyone's staring at you. A hundred thoughts are running through your mind. It takes Iman at a point like that to pull aside and do your Allahu Akbar while being okay with the world watching you. You never know who will be inspired or what khayr will come from it. That's in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I asked my mother once, rahimahullah, that what was something that really inspired you to Islam? So she had a, a few incidents that she said that really inspired her when she accepted Islam. One of them she said was, on her, because she became Muslim in Chicago. So she said on the flight to Chicago, it was an international flight, there was a stopover in Cairo. First time in her life she's ever, ever in a Muslim country. She never left India before. And even in India, she lived most of her life in a small, tiny, super segregated Hindu village. First time in a Muslim country, she said, I was walking from my arrival gate to my departure gate, and on the way there, on the side, I saw people worshipping, praying salah. First time in my life I saw a Muslim pray. Never seen it before. First time. And I asked someone, what are these people doing? She said, the person said that these people are praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're Muslims, and when their prayer time comes, no matter where they are, they pray. So my mother, Allah said to me, I was so influenced and touched and inspired by this that I thought to myself, what kind of human beings are these? I've seen people worship, but only in their places of worship or in their homes. I've never seen people like this, that they stop wherever they are to worship Allah. And that was the first time I had an introduction to Islam and that began the thirst in my heart to learn more about this deen. Little did you know, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had written Iman for her 40, 72 hours from that point. 72 hours from that point, she would be sitting in a masjid saying, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. The sacrifice of a person. I'm indebted to that man who stopped for salah in that Cairo airport for the rest of my life. Never be shy of praying salah. Never be shy of being a Muslim. Be proud and confident. Those who look at you, what do you know? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may transfer your ikhlas into their heart. Allah azawajal may transfer your, your, your respect and the greatness that you hold in your heart for Allah to someone else's heart. Be proud, be strong, be a good Muslim. Ibn Abi Hatim narrates, that a group of people from the Quraysh approached Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam فَوَجَدُوا مَعَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ صُحَيْبُ وَبِلَالُ وَعَمَّارُ وَخَبَّابُ 
this leader, these leaders of Quraysh came to speak with Rasulullah and they saw sitting around the Prophet were these, these individuals who just yesterday were getting whooped in the, desert, in the deserts of Arabia. These were the poor people who the Quraysh were pressing and, and flexing on. In their eyes, these were the scum of the earth because these people had no one to protect them. In their eyes, this was like not even the B team. And these people were sitting around Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَلَمَّا رَأَوْهُمْ حَوْلَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ حَقَّرُوهُمْ They said, O Muhammad, we have an interest in your religion and we want to learn about you. But you also know that among the Arabs, we are a group of people that are respected. And if people come and they see us sitting around you with these poor folks, it won't reflect properly. So, فَإِذَا جِئْنَاكَ أَقِمْهُمْ Our request is that when we come to you to learn about your religion and to get an introduction to your faith, remove these people. فَإِذَا نَحْنُ فَرَغْنَا فَقْعُدْ مَعَهُمْ إِنْ And when we leave, then you can sit with them for as long as you want. For Rasulullah this was a da'wah opportunity that I can engage with these people. These people have never listened. These people, Ammar, Suhaib, Khubayb, Bilal, these are lifelongers. These are the people that you ride together, die together. These people aren't going anywhere. They're madly in love with Allah and His Rasul. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ نَعَمْ Nabi said to them, Okay, I'll talk to them. They said, Why don't you write us a document in which you agree to this so we know that we can hold you accountable? فَاكْتُبْ لَنَا عَلَيْكَ كِتَابًا فَدَعَا بِالصَّحِيفَةِ وَدَعَا عَلِيًّا لِيَكْتُبْ Rasulullah called Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib and told him to write the document. وَنَحْنُ قُعُودٌ فِي نَاحِيَةٍ the other companions who were about to be excluded from the congregation of the Prophet of Allah in this document were sitting in the corner. As Ali radiallahu anh is about to start writing the document, فَنَزَلَ جِبْرِيلُ وَقَالُ Jibil alayhi salam came and he said that Allah reveals to you, وَلَا تَطْرُضِ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِيِّ يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَهُ وَلَا تَعْدُ عَيْنَاكَ عَنْهُمْ تُرِيدُ زِينَةَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَلَا تُطِعْ مَنْ أَغْفَلْنَا قَلْبَهُ عَنْ ذِكْرِنَا وَاتَّبَعَهَا وَاهُ وَكَانَ أَمْرُهُ فُرْطًا You will not push these people away. لَا تَطْرُدِ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِيهِ يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَا These people are the ones that call out to Allah morning and evening and they are the ones that seek Allah's pleasure. لَا تَعْدُ عَيْنَاكَ عَنْهُمْ You will not turn your eye away from them. تُرِيدُ زِينَةَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا You are looking for a worldly outcome. Nabi Sallallahu was hoping that the Quraysh would accept Islam and things would blow up and then, you know, the whole system would flip. وَلَا تُطِعْ مَنْ أَغْفَلْنَا قَلْبَهُ عَنْ ذِكْرِنَا وَلَا تُطِعْ مَنْ أَغْفَلْنَا قَلْبَهُ عَنْ ذِكْرِنَا Do not follow the one whose heart we have locked away from our remembrance. These people coming with conditions, this is because Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala blocked their hearts from His remembrance. That's why they're coming with conditions. Otherwise, a person whose heart is opened by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his love, they will come unconditionally. They will not look left and right. They won't come to the masjid and say, oh, that person's praying salah, so I'm not going to come. This is a Pakistani masjid, so I'm not going to pray here. 
This is a Somali masjid, so I'm not going to pray here. This is a Hanafi masjid, so I'm not going to pray here. No. These people will worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unconditionally because they understand وَأَنَّ الْمَسَاجِدَ لِلَّهِ That these masajid belong to Allah When you worship Allah, you're not worshipping for the person to your right or to your left. You're worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because that sajda may be the sabab of your najat in the hereafter. The means of your, your, uh, your freedom from the fire of hell in the hereafter. فَرَمَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ بِالصَّحِيفَةِ ثُمَّ دَعَانَا فَأَتَيْنَاهُ After this ayah was revealed, Rasulullah took the document and tossed it aside. And he said, you guys, come back. And the OG team of companions, um, they stood next to Rasulullah and they joined Rasulullah As time passed, the Prophet was granted permission to migrate so he told the companions to begin their migrations. Everyone started leaving in small groups here and there. Most of the companions had left Mecca. Those that were still in Mecca, they began to feel salty because their opportunity, their window to do hijrah was shutting down. And they also understood the reason why they couldn't go while everyone else was going was because there were people from their tribes that would come after them. You guys understand? Like, you know, when everyone goes to a party and you get left behind, that feeling of, man... And a party is still nothing. These people are leaving a place of torture where they were persecuted and they're going to freedom, to safety. And there are these companions that see that window closing. Few people are left in Mecca. Rasulullah now leaves as well. What Sayyidina Abu Bakr Sadiq radiallahu Mecca Mukarama now is pin drops silent when it comes to Muslims. Suhaib radiallahu an was one of the companions who was prevented from migration. The Meccans kept a close eye on him. They knew he was a wealthy man and they knew that he came to Mecca with not much wealth. So that wealth that he gained was a result of their markets and their trade so they didn't want him to leave with all of that wealth. They had a close eye on him. He tried but they would have people that would come and intercept him. One day, Suhaib radiallahu an, he began to walk back and forward while holding his stomach, making it seem as if he had some stomach problems. So he would leave the house and then come back, and leave the house and come back. The guards that were watching over him, they thought that this guy probably has diarrhea, and one of them actually said, look, our lords tested him with the stomach problems. So Hebrew says, nothing was wrong with me, I was just busy fooling these guys. When the people turned away from me because I kept I did this for half of the night and they weren't paying attention, I then grabbed my things and I booked it. I ran. It didn't take them long to realize that he had ran. So they began to chase him. When they got close to him, Suhaib radiallahu an waqafa ala makanin alin. He went to an elevated place and pulled out his arrows and pointed them at the people. And he said to them, Wallahi inni min arman, min arman nasi wa ah kamihim isabatan. You guys know I am very good at archery and I will take you guys down one by one. And even if you do make it to the top, I have my sword here, 
I will chop you before you touch me. So, either this could become a bloodbath, it's me against you guys, or there's another way. I have a deal. All of my wealth that you guys have had your eyes on, I will tell you where it's buried, go and take it. They said, all of it? He said, all of it. Take all of my money. I'm willing to go back to zero again, if that means that I will be with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa They said, you're crazy. He said, crazy in love for the Prophet. Take it. And they took his wealth. Suhaib al-Rumi slowly made his way to Medina Munawwara. The Prophet ﷺ was outside Medina Munawwara in a place called Quba. And when he arrived there, he was covered in dirt and dust, exhausted and tired after this long journey. Before he even said a word, the Prophet ﷺ said, What a successful trade! So Suhaib al-Rumi began to smile and he said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, since the moment I left Mecca, no one else migrated. The only way you know this is if Jibreel told you. And Rasulullah nodded his head. That your sacrifice and that trade you made, that you gave all of your wealth for your iman and for your hijrah, it was seen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it was in response to this act of His that Allah revealed the ayah, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَشْرِي نَفْسَهُ ابْتِغَاءَ مَرْضَاتِ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ رَؤُوفٌ بِالْعِبَادِ That from the people are those, يَشْرِي نَفْسَهُ ابْتِغَاءَ مَرْضَاتِ اللَّهِ who are willing to sell themselves for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَاللَّهُ رَؤُوفٌ بِالْعِبَادِ Suhaib radiallahu an was beloved to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He loved Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so much. He was so hungry in that moment when he arrived in Quba that in one narration, جِئْتُ النَّبِيَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ وَهُوَ نَازِلٌ بِقُبَى وَبَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ رُتَى وَتَمَرٌ He said, I arrived in Quba, hadn't eaten so many days, famished, exhausted. And there were dates in front of me. And because of the long journey and the long trip, he had his, he, he was, he was armad. he says. Armad means someone who has pain in their eyes. His eyes were swollen. His eyes were hurting. But when he saw the dates, his eyes were swollen, he couldn't see properly. But when he saw the dates, he jumped forward and he started eating. Umar radiallahu he said, O Messenger of Allah, look at this guy. He can't even see straight and he's eating dates. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam turned to him and he said, Ya Suhaib, ta'kulu tamra ala illati aynik? How are you eating dates when you can't even see? فَقَالَ إِنَّمَا آكُلُوا مِنَ الشِّقِّ الصَّحِيحِ فَضَحِكَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ حَتَّى بَدَتْ نَوَاجِلُهُ He said, O Messenger of Allah, I'm eating while peeking from that part of my eye that still has some health left in it. My eyes are swollen and I'm really sick right now, but I still have a little sight left. And if I see food, I will jump on it. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam found his statement so beautiful and humorous that the Prophet of Allah began to laugh out loud. And he laughed until his teeth were exposed. Um, 
Imam Al-Ghazi Al-Amil Al-Dimashqi, he narrates this incident in his Al-Murah Fil-Mizah. It's a book that he gathers on the, um, the jokes that occurred during the life of Rasulullah and the Sahaba, some of the humor that existed at that time. And after narrating this incident, he says, the reason why Suhaib al-Rumi responded to Nabi wasallam in this manner because, was because he heard from Rasulullah the humor in his question. Otherwise, it was inappropriate. Otherwise, it is inappropriate for a person to jokingly respond to Nabi Because Nabi is a Nabi. The Prophet is a Prophet. But for uh, Suhaib al-Rumi he was special. In one riwayah, the Prophet said, I will be the, from the forerunners of the Arabs. And Suhaib will be the forerunner from the Romans. And Salman will be from the forerunners of the Persians. And Bilal will be from the forerunners of the Abyssinians. Now what does it mean to be a forerunner? Possibly they were the first people to accept Islam from each of those groups. But a more clear understanding of this is seen in one riwayah where the Prophet wasallam said, as narrated by Abu Umama radiallahu an, أَنَا سَابِقُ الْعَرَبِ إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ وَسُحَيْبْ سَابِقُ الْرُومِ إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ وَسَلْمَانْ سَابِقُ الْفُرْسِ إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ That each of these people will be the first to enter into Jannah from those entire regions. That of all the Romans, the first person to enter into Jannah will be Suhaib bin Sinan al-Rumi Because of his time in the Roman Empire and the, the language and, and, and the speech, he developed a, um, an impediment when he spoke. He had a lisp. It was hard for him to pronounce words. One time, Zayd bin Aslam says, who narrates from his father, he says that I went with Umar to meet Suhaib. And we, when we entered into one of his gardens, he saw Suhaib from far away uh, shouting, Ya Nas, Ya Nas, Ya Nas. فقال Umar, لا أبا له يدعو الناس يا ناس means oh people he was sitting in his garden alone privately and Umar radiallahu said is this guy okay why is he shouting oh nas oh nas oh people oh people so the khadim of Umar radiallahu responds to him he says uh, no Amir al-Mu'mineen he, he actually has a servant whose name is Yohannes this is how he pronounces his name he calls Yohannes ya nas ya nas so Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anh, chuckled a little and then he said to him that uh, Suhaib, I like you a lot. I love you a lot. However, there are three things about you which I wish didn't exist. Ay rajul. Ayyu rajulun anta. How great of a man are you? Lawla khisalun thalathun fiqh. Had it not been for three things. Suhaib radiallahu anh said, وَمَا هُنَّ What are these three things? قَالَ اِكْتَنَيْتَ وَلَيْسَ لَكَ وَلَدٍ His kunya was Abu Yahya. So he said to him, you don't have any child, yet you have the name Abu Yahya? Abu Yahya means the father of Yahya. You have no son named Yahya. And then he says, وَانْتَ مَيْتَ إِلَى الْعَرَبِ وَأَنْتَ مِنَ الرُّومِ And you say you're Arab even though you are a Rumi. 
وَفِيكَ صَرَفٌ فِي الطَّعَامِ And when it comes to feeding and spending, you have a light hand, you do a lot of kharcha. You spend a lot of, you spend a lot. So Suhaib radiallahu an responds, إِنَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ كَنَّانِي يَا أَبَا يَحْيَى That the day I arrived in Medina and the Prophet said to me, رَبِحَ الْبَيْعَ That your transaction was, transaction was profitable. The Prophet said to me, the full statement was, رَبِحَ الْبَيْعُ يَا أَبَا يَحْيَى The Prophet called me Abu Yahya, even though I have no child. His statement was so beloved to me that I will not change it for anything. That will be my kunya even though I have no child. As for you claiming that I'm Roman and I, have, and I claim to be Arab, it's because my forefathers were Arab. I was only in Persia and Rome for a small window. And the third thing that you say I spend open-handedly, well, it's because the Prophet ﷺ said, خَيْرُكُمْ مَنْ أَطْعَمَ الطَّعَامِ The best of you are those that feed others food. So I don't hold back in that. I earn my money just to provide and take care of other people. So Hibr narrates some beautiful ahadith from the Prophet ﷺ. And one hadith regarding him, the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ كَانَ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ Whoever believes in Allah and the Day of Judgment should have love for Suhaib like a mother's love is for her child. Suhaib radiallahu an, he says in one hadith that I was with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam one day and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam started smiling. So then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Ala tas'aluni mimma adhak. Will you not ask me, O oh dear companions, why your Prophet is laughing at this moment? قَالُوا يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ مِمَّا تَضْحَكُ O Messenger of Allah, why are you smiling? Why are you laughing? قَالَ Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said I'm laughing because of how amazed I am by the outcome and the affair of the believer. إِنَّ أَمْرَهُ كُلَّهُ خَيْرٌ Every outcome, every single outcome, today, no matter what happens, no matter what happens tomorrow, when you sleep at night, if you have La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah in your heart, you are a winner. Inna amrahu kullahu khair. Every outcome for the believer is awesome. It's amazing. In asabahu ma yuhibbu hamidallaha wa kana lahu khair. If today you experience blessings, and if today is a good day in your life, and you are grateful to Allah, then that is good for you. What a beautiful outcome. If tonight before you go to sleep, you have a meal. If tonight you're able to hug your child. If tonight you're able to call your mom or dad. If tonight you're able to give some sadaqah. If tonight you're able to go to sleep and make, before you sleep, make dua for the Muslims across the world that are oppressed. If you're able to do good and then you go to sleep, what a blessing. And if today you are tested by Allah, you have some neck pain in your neck. Today, you got into a big argument with your child. Today, you didn't make too much money. You lost in your business. But in that moment, you are patient and you say, hamd," That whatever it is, it's in the hands of Allah. And I am pleased with that. That will be good for you as well. Because the believer bounces between shukr and sabr. The believer bounces between gratitude to Allah and patience with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In one riwayah, Suhaib radiallahu anh says, 
he was with the Prophet ﷺ at every point. He says in his own words that I was with the Prophet of Allah in every jihad, in every trip, every journey. I was by the side of Rasulullah And one thing I observed, the Prophet ﷺ never entered into a new city, but he read the dua. Allahumma rabba samawat as-sab'i wa ma adlal. Wa rabba al-ardin as-sab'i wa ma aqlal. Wa rabba al-shayateen wa ma adlal. Wa rabba al-riyahi wa ma dharayn. فَإِنَّا نَسْأَلُكَ خَيْرَ هَذِهِ الْقَرْيَةِ وَخَيْرَ أَهْلِهَا وَنَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ شَرِّهَا وَشَرِّ أَهْلِهَا وَشَرِّ مَا فِيهَا The Prophet would make dua after praising Allah that, O oh Allah, I ask you the good of the city and the good of the people of it. I ask you the good of the city and the good of the people, people of it. Imam Suyuti, while commenting on this point, he says, خَيْرَ أَهْلِهَا أَيْ الْإِجْتِمَاعَ مَعَ الْعُلَمَاءُ بِهِمْ that oh Allah allow us to connect with the righteous people of the city. And then when we would enter into a, another, when he would enter into a city, uh, sorry, that, that statement is attributed to, it's Imam Suyuti narrates it, but he attributes it to Ibn al-Athir. And then he would also say, oh Allah, I ask you to protect me from the evil of the city and the evil that is in it. In the riwayah, he uses the word, وَمَا أَظْلَلْنْ شَيَاطِينَ وَمَا أَظْلَلْنْ for those of you who have familiarity with the Arabic language, the more common conjugation of that verb would be ma avallu. It would be shayatin wa ma avallu. However, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he mushakalatan, he mirrored the same uh, verb scale from the previous statement wa ma aqlan, and then turned that into wa ma avallu. Kind of like in another statement, Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he said. مَا دَرَيْتَ وَمَا تَلَيْتَ instead of تَلَوْتَ This is, a, sometimes they do this in the Arabic language مُشَاكَلَةً to allow the language to flow and, and move along better. Suhaybar Rumi radiallahu an served in the khidmah of the Prophet and also the khidmah of the Khulafa al-Rashidun. He was beloved and dear to Umar radiallahu an when Umar radiallahu an was stabbed while leading Fajr Salah he appointed Suhaybar radiallahu an to lead. And he said, that until the next Khalifa is appointed, which should happen three days from now, when Umar knew he was going to die, he said, until the next Khalifa that is appointed, which will be three days from now, take three days, don't do it right away, do some shura, plan it out, because he made a shura committee, three days from now you can decide, but during this time in the interim, Suhaib will be the one that will lead the prayer. He passed away in Medina Munawwara in the month of Shawwal, in the year uh, 38 after Hijrah, Imam Al-Madaini says he lived 73 years and Imam Al-Fasawi says he lived um, 84 years. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate his maqam and fill his grave with nur and allow us to take from the inspirational lessons and sacrifices of Suhaib radiallahu an. May Allah accept this gathering. Wa sallallahu ala Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.